so uh, Isaiah chapter 42, um, uh, unique in a few senses, but I, I really enjoy Isaiah chapter 42 because it um, points so much at Jesus when we look at it. And um, I really enjoy prophecy. Um, so, you know, the things that are foreshadowing Jesus here are just, wonderful and uh you know they they point all over i'm gonna you know reach to revelation and matthew and back to isaiah a whole bunch uh through this process but just the way i if you haven't ever noticed i really like the harmony of the scripture you know you know you be in ezekiel and he says a whole number of things uh, about a certain you know the millennial kingdom and then you read elsewhere and you get supportive things that point at what Ezekiel's saying but lend you you know a whole new area of understanding about the same circumstances and uh, if we trust the word of God you know as it's said so often the word of God is the best commentary on the word of God so always you know I, I just am always fascinated with finding um, these supportive passages. So uh, Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. Uh, behold, now before we move on, uh, the term there really pushes the idea of uh, take your time to study. Look intently upon. So this idea of behold, you know, it, it's that idea of let me get your attention. Now focus on this. On what? My servant. Behold my servant, um, whom I uphold. You know, the idea of I elevate him, I lift him up. I'm, I'm putting him up here so that you can, you know, pay attention uh, to him and uh, let him capture your mind. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Uh, the New King James Version rightly capitalizes uh, servant because the context demonstrates this is clear reference to Jesus. So, you know, this servant is specifically much like when you're in Genesis and, you know, there, uh, you know, the seed of Eve is capitalized. The S is capitalized because it's a reference uh, to Jesus. It's you know it's it's a messianic uh, prophecy. Here the same thing. My servant, focus on him. Look at him. I'm I'm lifting him up to you. You know. So Jesus isn't you know just a servant. He is the servant. You know the definitive article. The and everyone should behold. As the Lord says, my servant, we, we look at him, we study him, we follow his example. That's what we're, you know, being called to do. Within that, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus speaking said, yet it shall not be so among you, meaning you won't, won't lord over one another. You're not going to dominate one another as the Gentiles do, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You know, Jesus here, Isaiah 42, we're being told, pay attention to my servant, examine him, study him, know him, be like him. Jesus telling us in the New Testament, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? You're going to need to learn how to be a servant. You're going you're gonna to need to learn how to die to yourself and to care for others. Now, in, in verse 2 of Isaiah 42, when it says, He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. That's not the idea that Jesus never raised his voice or that any servant of God should not raise their voice. It's the idea of having a dominance you know, raising your voice in such a way that you would uh, be trying to subdue others, shouting down, and, uh, you know, the idea of putting others 
down. That's you know not to be the example and the behavior of you know Jesus, obviously, and us following Jesus. Jesus did shout, right? We we see that many times that Jesus shouted for the right reasons, but not to dominate over others, even in their sinfulness. Let them be sinful. He would correct them. You know, it was almost always the hypocritical religious leaders that he was very stern with. But as far as crying out, you know, John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 and 38, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Uh, There's the idea in that crying out of it being so loud that it was shocking. You know, you just you're in the crowd, and someone suddenly someone is shouting in such a way that everyone's attention uh, turns to him. What does he cry out, saying, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he's going to shout to the people in need. He, he, you know, he's going to raise his voice so that if if we need, you know. To have our attention drawn to him for the things that he offers, uh, then you know he will do that. Certainly, you know, sort of ideologically, he's the still small voice speaking to our hearts. But I, you know, I think every one of us has also had the Lord be strong enough and stern enough in our lives that He's gotten our attention. You know, he He will let the circumstances raise their voice and correct us and rebuke us, get our attention when it's necessary. Now, with that idea, he says in verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. You know, uh, a bruised reed, uh, the reeds of Israel, uh, you know, the... uh, sway grass that grows in uh you know the low areas of the galilee um very fragile you know they're big tall things you know we have similar things here the the reeds and the cattails that grow you know in in the in the water and in the the low-lying wet areas you know when they've been crushed and bent over and broken you know, you don't go out and think like, oh, I can heal this thing. I can I can make this well. You know, almost always our thought is I'm going to have to cut all that down. You know, if it's been damaged in our heart and mind, it's not, one, it would be near impossible. Two, it's not worth it. It's wrecked. It's ruined. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, the idea, the Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah here is, you know, even something that the world would look upon and think of as meaningless that's been damaged which you know impossible to heal and repair jesus has a tender heart for that you know the the smoking flax you know when the candle has been blown out and now that smoke is rising up you know we when i had the school part of science we would show the the children you know you light the match and when the smoke is rising off that, you just have to hold that match close to that candle and poof, it'll come right back to flame. You don't have to touch the wick. You know, we as believers, uh, you know, having been snuffed out uh, by the difficulty, the cruelty, the damage of life smoldering in our faith, you know, unable to burn brightly, all it takes is. You know, somebody else's spark close to us. Jesus' intensity to come along and there's the light again. There's the life. That's what Jesus is saying. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying is, you know, we rule things out. That's done. That's damaged. That's useless. Throw that away. You know, know, the smoking wick is just annoying. You know, let me wet my fingers and quench that so that I don't have to deal with the smoldering wick anymore. Not so with Jesus. You know, he will not quench it. He wants to rekindle it. He wants to heal the thing that the rest of the world wants to do away with, wants to throw away. You know, that's what he's 
looking at and looking for. You know, an excellent example in the New Testament uh, when they catch the woman in the act of adultery, John chapter 8, verses 10, 11, you know, there uh, he kneels down and writes in the sand and they all leave one by one. And, you know, the woman's left there with Jesus. And in verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Notice she's already in submission to his lordship. You know, no one, Lord. Uh, and Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That last section of the sentence, most important, go and sin no more. Uh, Jesus doesn't just say, neither do I condemn you. You know, that's the attitude of the world today. Oh, just tolerate all things allow all sin don't ever correct anyone in any situation you know neither do i condemn you now that's only part of jesus message i mean what's going to rekindle a broken life what's going to heal the damage it's going to be the departure from the sin which brings the wreck and the ruin which extinguishes the flame you know so yes hear the tenderness of jesus but hear the tender correction also, right? Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. You know, let this rekindling occur. 42, verse 4. Uh, he will not fail nor be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Now, there are a few things uh, here, you know, this idea of not failing, not being discouraged, uh, you know, the world and even Christianity uh, sometimes has that attitude of, oh, well, if Jesus is coming back, like, why is it taking so long? You know, if there's a God, why does he allow such terrible things on the earth? How could, you know, a loving God, you know, cause, send, do terrible things? They, they got all these accusations about why things go on so long and why, uh, you know, it's the conditions are so terrible. I always think of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient. For your sake, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You know, that's the reason uh, that he takes so long is he wants salvation to come for everyone. He, you know, he's he's, you know, waiting a long time because there are those that, you know, don't know the Lord. I've I've countless times given the example of I, I really surrendered my life to the Lord in 1989. And uh, immediately looking around with that newfound idea of, you know, salvation and Christianity and the kingdom, I was praying that Jesus would return. You know, oh, Lord, you know, just the rapture and come for the church. And whenever I talk about that, I ask the people in the study, you know, how many people in the room have come to the Lord since 1989? And often you know, there's at least a couple of hands, but sometimes there's a lot of hands that go up. If the Lord had listened to you know just my prayers, there might have been a whole bunch of people that didn't enter into the kingdom. His patience has to do with salvation. You know, he will not fail nor be discouraged. You know, he's he's gonna wait until he knows the perfect timing. He's gonna establish justice on the earth, and uh, you know, wait for his law. The, the establishment of these things is going to take place. Philippians 2.10, you know, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. You know, his kingdom, his law, his justice will be established. I mean, at times you look around and think, where, when? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming where he will you know, fulfill it. What is his law? You know, because we shouldn't think, uh, maybe even as Isaiah was, of the Old Testament law. Certainly it's contained in it, but it's it's the law of love. 
Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 36, they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The law of love. If if we truly are submitted to the Lord uh, through the power of his Holy Spirit, then we're going to have an insatiable desire for the Lord. We're going to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And as we do, you know, all of our strength, and as we do, we're going to automatically love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The world around us is going to experience Christ's love through us. If we are truly in love with the Lord and hungering and thirsting for his righteousness in our lives and seeing that work being done in our hearts, then we're going we're gonna to love the person next to us that is currently bugging the stuffing out of us. Christ's work, the law, will be fulfilled in us and through us if, if we are in submission to the Lord. You know, Paul reiterates that, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. When we read the scripture, you know, it says, you know, uh, love is patient, love is kind. You know, all of those things are descriptive of the love. You know, uh, when, when we're filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are those are adjectives of the love. It isn't that you're, you know, going to be a person who has love and also patience. And also it is that the, the love we're going to have is not the love of the world, lust, you know, selfish desires. You know, when we say love to the ungodly, they have an entirely different thought process. By definition, as believers, this law, you know, Isaiah 42, verse 4, he will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. His law is love. Our love for the Lord resulting in a love, a, a godly, biblical love for our neighbors. He's accomplishing that in us right now. And he will eventually flood the world with it when he takes his throne and rules here uh, you know, as the king of of the earth glorious day Isaiah 42 verse 5 thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread forth the earth that which comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it again this is Jesus you know you read man, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens Jesus created all things John chapter 1 verse 3 all things were made through Jesus and without him nothing was made that was made Jesus created all things so so this is very much uh, pointing at Jesus you know examine my servant you know understand my servant study my servant know my servant the lord is really wanting us even in the old testament uh, to have an appetite, you know, the scripture telling us, you know, come taste and see, you know, we need to have that desire, you know, the, the hunger within us. It's interesting. I was just having a conversation doing jail ministry uh, about how, uh, you know, a lot of these men and Lori, my wife going in, you know, the women also, they don't even understand that what they're doing is trying to fulfill a spiritual hunger. You know, they're, the things they're pursuing, um, you know, they have the view like it's like it's uh, somehow, you know, it's a natural desire. It's not really a natural desire. You know, people will, even preachers will often say, oh, it's, uh, it's just a natural desire. No, it's unnatural in that, you know, for instance, sex. So many of these people, you know, have this desire that they go and they do sinful things with. It's because they haven't 
had the fulfillment of a proper relationship with the Lord that now this hunger grows until they're pursuant of things that are very destructive. You know, Proverbs are telling us that the man who is satisfied, you know, loathes even honey. I'm paraphrasing. It then goes on to say, you know, but the man who's hungry, you know, even what's detestable, he'll, he'll consume it or try to consume it. You think about how hunger works in us. I, I'm terrible about eating properly. I should stop and get some healthy food, and I'm just terrible with time management. And so now, you know, I have to get something to eat. And so now I'm eating something that's unhealthy. So it is spiritually. So many people that are pursuant of other things, there is a desire within us. God created us to worship Jesus Christ. You know, here's Isaiah telling us, look at my servant, pay attention, study him, and in so doing, you'll recognize the urge, the hunger, the desire that's within you and pursue the proper things. So uh, here in verse six, uh, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles. Now, um, uh, I've had more and more conversations uh, with people who are finding certain teachings online that, um, you know, say, oh, well, we, especially as Gentiles, should just be studying the teachings of Paul. There's a particular teacher, but teachers out there that are saying, oh, well, you know, Jesus came to minister to uh, the Jews and even commanded, you know, his apostles don't go to the Gentiles. And then, you know, by establishing Paul later, as Paul goes and ministers and teaches, you know, all of it. So study Paul's writings and Paul's books, but don't, you know, so much, literally some of these guys are saying, don't study uh, the teachings of Jesus because those were intended uh, for the Jews. I mean, I hope automatically your brain says that's silly. I shouldn't be doing that. Okay. But, you know, an example uh, in John chapter four, verse nine, uh, Jesus goes to the Samaritans and they're Gentiles. And he purposely goes out of his way and ministers, you know, to a Samaritan woman at the well. A couple of interesting points about that. John chapter 4, verse 9, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans slash Gentiles. Jesus has gone out of his way to minister to a Gentile woman. And, and then, you know, good Bible students that you are, that entire Gentile community. What's most interesting to me about that passage is that's the first time Jesus tells someone with his own mouth, she's non-Jewish, she's a Gentile, and she's a woman, not a man. He tells her outright, I'm the Messiah. First person. Now, what a beautiful thing. The announcement comes to the Gentiles before any other people. From Jesus' own mouth, I'm the Messiah. You know, oh, we know that the Messiah is coming, and he'll re yeah, I'm that guy, Jesus says. Tells her flat out, I'm the He's telling everybody else, don't tell people. You know, they're asking questions. He's sidestepping the answer. Not with her. Tells her outright, you know, Again, 42.6, as a light to the Gentiles. We, so grateful. Uh, 42.7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Uh, you know, sure, it's the spiritual sense uh, of what Jesus is doing, you know, giving sight healing, 
uh, delivering people from the bondage. It's also the physical. He's physically giving people sight. He's physically delivering people from the sin that would enslave them to prisons. You know, Jesus is that minister. And then he tells us that's how we should be. And he gets very stern about our involvement, you know, right, with those that are hungry, those that are, you know, naked, those that are imprisoned, and says these are our responsibilities and that it's going to be, you know, the biggest evidence that we're a child of God is that when we will respond to these people who are in need, you know, you don't have to, you know, start a healing ministry. I'm not implying that. But when you can recognize your coworker, your fellow student, your neighbor is spiritually blind or sick and you should be ministering to them, minister to them. You know, let the work of the Holy Spirit flow through your life and care for those in need. Matthew chapter 25, verse 36 Jesus is complimenting and explaining to his servants, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Because you were my children and followed my example, you studied me as a servant, you responded. You know, this is why just before that in Matthew 25, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And then they're left saying, why? why? You know, how, when did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? And what does he say? As much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Reach out. Take the opportunity to be Christ's minister. Follow the example of this servant that's being held up as an example to us. 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name. And again, I'll pause uh, for that discussion. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. There in your Bible, Yahweh is the name. This is uh, the name of what we could refer to as being the name of God the Father. Now, we've recently discussed this on a few different levels about uh, you know, why the name was lost and how now we're focused on Jesus, you know, Y-H-W-H, Yeshua, Jehovah, Yahweh's salvation. That's his name. Jesus' name is Yahweh's salvation. You know, for those like the Jehovah's Witnesses that want to get all wound up about, oh, you don't use the proper name of God. Well, neither do they. You know, Jehovah is probably the worst translation of the name Yahweh available. Uh, more importantly, God himself said that he would honor his word above his name. Okay, uh, class, who is God's word? Jesus, right? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Uh, what we need to be focused on is Jesus, God's word delivered to us. So, Okay, you know, I am the Lord, that is my name. We can accept that. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. The new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is like an astonishment to a lot of people. The fact that there's so much revealed in the scripture. You know, there is a mindset amongst many people as though, you know, God hasn't told us about the future. We can't know uh, the things of the scripture and know the things of the future. That's not true. There are, you know, those specific things that, you know, we can't know, like, you know, the hour or the day when Jesus will return. Sure, you know, that's that's a truth. And anybody who starts saying, you know, Matthew chapter 24 uh, you got people like Jim Jones and David Koresh who are like, oh, I'm the Messiah. You know, and what does that produce? Death. Anybody that follows, you know, a false Messiah, it usually ends up in death. Uh, there are those things which are hidden, but the Lord has revealed so much to us. 
I mean, you know, the book of Revelation today, much of the church is treating it like, oh, it's a sealed book. You can't know it. The title itself is The Revealing. I mean, the title should tell you. And then right there in the first chapter, it says anyone who reads it and anyone who hears it is blessed. Take your time to know these things. You know, this is reflective, verse 9, of what he was saying you know, back in chapter 41, verse 21, where he's challenging the false gods and the people who worship, worship them. Go ahead, tell us about the future. You're, you're supposedly this wonderful God. You're just an idol, and anyone who chooses you is an abomination. But, you know, go ahead, prove your power. And then the Lord essentially says, <clears throat> I'll prove to you that I am God by telling you the things of the past and the things of the future. And here he's backing that up again. I will declare things to you, you know, before they spring forth. I will tell you of them. I'm watching the Middle East right now, probably with all of you. And, you know, it's, it's getting pretty interesting, you know, to, to watch what Iran is doing and see what Russia is posturing, you know, itself over with Syria and the current developments and, that's some pretty wild stuff that's transpiring right now. You know, I, you know, I don't look forward to the day where Gog and Magog plunge down out of the north, uh, you know, and uh, the war that follows. But at the same time, that's the fulfillment of so many things. So I'm simultaneously looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to it because it brings about the things that the Lord has promised us. Now, with that, um, uh, Isaiah 42, verse 10, if, if you've been asleep up until this point, uh, you might want to wake up and at least take one note here. Okay, uh, Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, the coastlands and you inhabitants of them. The new song, right? Uh, this prophetic message of the new song. There's a great debate over pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. You know, is there even a rapture? Oh, millennialism. You get all this stuff that's being hurled around inside the church. Bottom line, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, descending through to verse 18, there is a rapture, okay? You can't deny that. Um, if you are sitting there right now thinking, I do deny that, well, you're wrong, and we can have a conversation about that later. But here's the issue. Okay? There is a rapture. The question is, when does it occur? Um, again, it's okay. You can be wrong. I don't mind. But it's pre-tribulation rapture, and there is a ton of evidence surrounding that, including this new song. Okay? particularly Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. In heaven, the church is present, and it says they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Okay, That's the church in heaven singing the new song. Only, only the church can say that they were redeemed by the blood out of every tribe and nation. They're in heaven. You know, as the tribulation begins and all of it begins to unfold, they're already in heaven singing the new song to the Lord. So this new song is a remarkable thing that Isaiah gives us and it's quite veiled until you get to that harmonious passage in revelation chapter 5 verse 9 now you're gonna run into those that say oh right but there are several of the copies of revelation that don't have this verse included in that translation 
of Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. So therefore, because it's only in a certain number of the translations, we can't know whether it was ever intended to be in the book of Revelation or not. Here's the deal. The ones that don't have it don't even have chapter 5. Every single copy of Revelation that contains chapter 5 contains that verse. All of the scholars agree that if it contains chapter 5, verse 9, then the church is in heaven before the tribulation begins. Follow it again. Because chapter 5 is not in certain copies, the critics who don't believe in pre-tribulation rapture want to say, therefore, the church is not in heaven. No, no, no. It isn't a matter of the church not being in heaven. It's a matter of chapter 5 isn't in those copies of Revelation. That's all it is. Every single copy that contains chapter 5, that verse is there. So the verse is there, and so the church is there. So we can debate that later. Uh, hang on to it. The new, the new song. That's our song, the song of the church, and it's in heaven with the Lord before the unfolding of the tribulation. Chapter 42, verse 11, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages of Kedar inhabits, inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. You know, Jesus explained his kingdom. He was there and on trial. John chapter 18, verse 36 and 37 Speaking to Pilate, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. There will come a point where this king and his kingdom will fight for that kingdom. But they're going to do it in the spiritual realm, fighting against Lucifer. Now, as the victory comes and Lucifer is bound for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom is established on earth once his kingdom's been established on earth so now it's an earthly kingdom that's why you get to the end of the millennial reign and then there's an earthly battle between jesus kingdom and the kingdom of men and the kingdom of lucifer because right now his kingdom is not of this earth there's a coming point where it becomes the kingdom of this earth, and then the battle will be of this earth. So currently, it's not of this world. The zeal for the things of the Lord, zeal for his kingdom. We saw that when he was here ministering. You know, John chapter 2, looking at verse 14, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business when he had made a whip of cords he drove them all out of the temple now i don't think that jesus uh, struck anyone with the whip he may have okay but uh, you start just cracking a whip over people's heads and over the heads of uh you know oxen and people and animals start moving um Maybe he just had it in his hand. I suppose that's possible uh, too. Bottom line, uh, this isn't a selfish zeal. Uh, they're in the court of the Gentiles where the Gentiles who've traveled for hundreds, some of them thousands of miles to come and worship there at the temple, 
can't access their relationship with the Lord because of all of this corruption. So Jesus cleans it out. So he's again serving others with his zeal. He's making sure that people have the opportunity. He finds them, he makes the whip, he drives them out of the temple with the sheep, the oxen, poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables. He said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. The zeal of the Lord should burn in our hearts uh, for ourselves, that the child of God within us would not have the things of the world polluting the temple, our body of God, so that it would have the free access to worship the Lord as we're supposed to have. And also when we see others, we would have a zeal to see them be able to worship the Lord. When you think about this, remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, but I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Right? What is our righteousness? It's Jesus Christ's righteousness. Right? All of our righteousness, as the prophet said, is as filthy rags. You know, the righteousness, the zeal for the righteousness, it's it's God's grace poured out upon us. That's the zeal that we should have. Uh, you know, I, I watch as preachers sort of wince over uh, talking about Islam at this point because they do have a great zeal for God, but it's out of ignorance. You start saying things like that, people are like, hey, be careful. <laughs> you, could, you could stir some things up. Yeah, we need to stir some things up. They do indeed have a great zeal for God, probably in excess of, of most of ours, but they do it without knowledge. They don't know the God they're supposed to be worshiping, Jesus Christ. If they had that knowledge, truly, right, even from their own religion, as many of us have found out, you know, Isa, they're supposed to study his teachings. That's the teachings of Jesus. You know, Isa is Jesus in their own writings. If they were studying even the teachings of just, you know, if you could ever encounter them and help them, encourage them to just read the red letters, you know? <laughs> if you can't trust anything else, trust the writings and the teachings of Jesus himself. And, you know, okay, if you can't trust them, just read them and see if they're trustworthy. You know, how about this? Let's just go to Matthew chapter 5, you know, if you ever get the opportunity. Just just read the Sermon on the Mount and see if this doesn't make sense. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, you know, let them absorb, you know, the knowledge that would properly fuel that zeal. What a, what a wonderful thing, you know. And again, within that, you know, seeking to establish their own righteousness, not just focusing on Islam, so many people that don't have a heart for knowing the grace of Jesus Christ, knowing the Lord personally, they have a great zeal for things of the scripture, things of Christianity, you know, churchianity. And yet, what does it become? A form of legalism. There's, there's no joy. There's no happiness, no contentment in it. Oh, they know all the stuff. They can put you to shame with the stuff they know. And quite literally, that's often what they're trying to do, is shame others <laughs> with your lack and my superiority. That's a, that is an awful thing. Your own righteousness, it's, it's filthy. I rely, we rely upon the righteousness of God. 42.14, I have held my peace a long time. I've been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. 
I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands. I will dry up the pools. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 24, you know, they'd asked him about the destruction of the temple there. Uh, from the New Living Translation, Jesus told them, uh, don't let anyone mislead you, Matthew 24, verse 5, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. It's almost like this is ripped from the headlines, you know, this week, the things that are going on all around us. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains. Remember that, with more to come. Um, you know, it seems like centuries ago now, but uh, when my wife was pregnant with our oldest daughter, uh, Christian, uh, you know, we were so young and so anxious about the pregnancy that uh, when the Braxton Hicks arrived, oh, full-on panic, like straight to the hospital. And I think it was like the third time we showed up, they were like, will you guys stop? Just this is, this is not labor. When you hit labor, it, you aren't going to be saying, now, could this be it? I mean, it's going to be so powerful. And we were like, are you sure? I mean, this seems really serious. And they were like, trust us. When it comes, you're going to know. And my goodness, did especially my wife know. You know, and then once having gone through it, you get to, you know, the second, third child, you're like, whatever. Braxton Hicks, you want to go to the movies? I mean, you know, it just, you know, it's, it's almost like right now there's a whole bunch of people that are watching the, these precursory things and they're freaking out about, oh, this is that war, rumors of war, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, California is going to slide into the ocean. You know, just this is all precursory. There's much bigger stuff coming, right? You've heard me endlessly say first three and a half years of the tribulation, you know, one quarter of the world's population is wiped out. That's all of South America, Central America, North America, and Western Europe gone. Nobody's going to be standing around going, is, is this, you think this is the tribulation? Are we, I, I mean, I don't, no, it's going to be so severe that as the scripture says, if God didn't shorten the days, no flesh would survive. It's going to be unthinkable when we get there. You know, this, I've held my peace a long time, but it's going to come like labor, you know, is what Isaiah is saying. You're going to gash, you're going to lay waste the mountains, and if every mountain is going to sink, every island is going to be moved out of its place. I mean, if you live on Mount Desert Island, you know, there goes the neighborhood, seriously, along with you know, Hawaii and all Japan is entirely in you know archipelago of islands. The the world is going to be dramatically changed in the process of what Jesus is predicting. Here Isaiah continues forty two sixteen, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they will not know. I will make darkness light before them in crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. Now, he's going to talk about those that are blind again in just a moment, but he's contrasting. See, see here, they're given vision. They're given the ability to navigate and negotiate and to see. And, you know, spiritually and physically, uh, healing uh, the people is the work of Jesus. That's what he does. Yeah, I mean, you and I have all been changed by the powerful work of Jesus. We were once blind. You know, there are people, um, yeah, have you ever had the experience of, of seeing someone uh, that uh, is truly like blind from birth? 
uh, versus someone who um, like got sick or you know over the years lost their vision one of the things that really stands out to me is um, how much uh, how much facial expression is used by people who are blind who've lost their vision right versus someone who's never had their vision you know they'll talk to you and they've got that fixed distance stare and they'll tell you something like really funny and like put almost no expression in the process not not understanding how the person who's had vision in the past when they talk to you even though they can't see you they'll like try to fix their face toward you and relay that with them true blindness is you know that someone's never had it it's a remarkable thing Jesus, you know, here the Lord giving vision, it's amazing how much changes about a person who's been blind and been given vision. They they seem like a different person. You know, the, the person who's been blind from birth never had, you know, their whole, even their countenance, their face, when they receive vision, they 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 appear differently because they now understand facial expression. They're seeing your facial expression. It's saying something to them, and they start mimicking that and using that. And we were dead spiritually, zombified. And there's so much life in us after Christ, once he's healed us. There's so much direction, so much that he gives to us. What a wonderful thing, this you know, blindness and how he takes it away. He's going to lead them in paths they did not know. You think about the ways now the Holy Spirit ministers to you, where in the past you wouldn't have had any sense. You know, Some situation comes up and you just know, oh, the Holy Spirit is telling me to stay out of this. How do you know that? I don't even really know. <laughs> but I, I do know it. You know, the rest of the world just wanders around with that blank, you know, whole expression and experience. We, with true vision. Right? There's a whole bunch of people out there that claim, oh, I'm a deeply spiritual person. And you look at them and you know, no, you are not. You don't have the Holy Spirit at all. You know, you you are a deeply emotional person, perhaps, but not not of the Holy Spirit. The healing, the direction, the leading that we receive from Jesus is a wonderful thing. John, the Baptist, was wondering about this. Right? He he's in prison. He thought you know, he said. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And now he's in prison and he's going, what happened? I mean, I, I thought the kingdom was coming. How in the world am I not the vice Messiah? I just, I, you know, I was telling everybody. And now, I mean, not only am I not being elevated, I'm being demoted into a place that, you know, looks like I might even be put to death. And eventually he was. Sends the messengers, asks Jesus what he responds. John is wanting to know, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? What does Jesus say? The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. The work of the Lord, physically, spiritually. Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be around the work of the Lord and know the Lord is working. Hey, I love walking into a church and just recognizing, oh, the Lord's working. It's a cool thing. You can see the fellowship that you know, is had. It says now in verse 17, they shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, you are, oh my God, I, I'm sorry. Um, so crooked places, these things, not forsaken them. Well, we'll leave that alone for now. Uh, so verse 17, they shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images who say to molded images, you are our gods. Uh, just a couple of supportive references. Previously, we had read in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 19, uh, they 
shall go into the holes of the rocks and all the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises and shakes the earth mightily. In that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, they which they have made each of each for himself to worship, to the moles and bats, to go into the clefts of the rock and the crags and the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises and shakes the earth mightily. So during the coming tribulation, uh, those that have worshipped idols will be ashamed of them. And you see again in Revelation chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell on the earth as the fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by the mighty wind, when the sky receded as a scroll, when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, so not just those that are elevated, but even the lowly, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I always find that comical. You know, I never look at lambs and think that they somehow appear intimidating. You know, sheep maybe, right? I mean, certain of those rams are big and they're aggressive. And you can see they're kind of sizing you up and they kind of lower their head like, I might take a charge at you if you turn your back. I never look at a lamb and think, oh man, that thing looks intimidating. You know, hide us from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? You know, the world looked on at Jesus and thought that he was just the lowly, humble servant. There's going to come a day where they recognize the wrath of the lamb who sits on the throne. A message for those who think they are God's servants. Uh, you know, you hear in verse 18, Hear you deaf and look you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things, but you did not observe, opening the ears, but he does not hear. The, it's a confusing section from 18 to 20, but the clarification is in verse 20. Seeing many things you did not observe. You know, opening the ears, but he did not hear. You know, the verse that immediately sprang to mind for me was, you know, be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. You know, how many within the church today, you know, constantly see, constantly hear, and yet nothing's touching their heart. There is no change in their behavior. You know, you think about uh, Jesus saying, Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, uh, they are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. You have to be obedient to the word of God. So, just racing along for time's sake. Verse 21, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers for plunder and no one says restore. God sees and understands the pain we go through in this sinful fallen world. You know, the, the, the whole of our culture is just grievous. Day to day, we have to constantly endure. Uh, you know, some of the things that we see and hear and read about are just unimaginable. And this is, you know, what the Lord is saying here. You know, he is going to be well pleased when 
the law is exalted, the people currently are robbed and plundered and snared and imprisoned and you know tortured. You know, I, as confusing a man as Lot was, that statement about him has always been intriguing to me about how all of the wickedness around him you know, vexed his righteous soul. Uh, I I know uh, what is meant by that. We we do truly live in Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know, looking around and seeing. You know, I you know some people say that sort of figuratively. I mean it. This the world around us is just so sick and twisted, and we are imprisoned in it, and we are tortured by it. Understand from this passage, the Lord sees that. He has great compassion upon us. He knows we're being robbed of our joy. He knows we're being imprisoned. He knows we're suffering, right? But what did Paul say? You know, that whole thing of, you know, I'd, I'd just as soon depart and be in the presence of the Lord. But, you know, for me to live is Christ. You know, to die is gain. For now, we have a call to reflect this servant, to, to be one of these servants in the world around us, you know, to let Christ shine through us. Now, these last few verses at verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear from time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder in Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned, for they would not walk in his ways nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore, he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around. Yet he did not know, and it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. Again, oh, sorry about that, Mike. I have to look into that. But, uh, again, for time's sake and clarification, this fire that God is talking about, you know, you know, who's plundered, who's robbed. God has done this. Why? Because uh, the, of the sinfulness of his people. So what's the purpose of the fire? To refine us, to change us, to teach us, to, to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, think about, as we close, 1 Peter chapter 4. You might want to turn there. I'm just going to close with this. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which, or the trial singular, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be given with glad rather with exceeding joy if you are reproached for the name of christ blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of god rests upon you on their part he is blasphemed but on your part he is glorified but let none of you suffer as a murderer a thief an evildoer or as a busybody, literally a gossip, in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You know, we are going to experience <clears throat> the pain of living in a fallen, sinful world. And we're going to experience the pain of the persecution from that fallen, sinful world. But it produces in us the glory of God. If we'll submit to it, 
if we'll allow it to refine us and change us. You know, if we if we are bitter about it, if we are resentful about it, if we are afraid of it, then it doesn't produce any of those things. If we allow and we understand, yep, this is what I'm supposed to be going through. Why? Because I'm a child of God. This is not my world, and the people of this world are not of my family. They're going to hate us. If we embrace that idea, then the Lord produces in us growth and maturity. Again, endlessly quoting James chapter 1, you know, to to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you're faced with trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If we're going through it, It's because God recognized there was something lacking in our lives, in our person. And he's working that out. He's changing us. He's refining us. So allow the world to accomplish the work of the Lord in your heart, soul, and mind. Amen? Amen. So let's stand and uh, we'll pray and then we'll pick up at chapter 43 next week. We got to look into that, Mike. That's I said that last week, and I forgot all about it. Father God, again, we thank you very much for your love, your work, and your word. I pray that you would help us to submit to you, to what you're doing in us, Lord, the way you're changing us. I pray that we would be all the more useful to you day to day that uh, your message, your gospel would be on our lips, and that we would draw people to you, that your kingdom would expand, grow in strength and in number. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Please stay in fellowship as long as you want to.